the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, one uh, just one week after being released and returned to the United States in a coma, Otto Warmbier has died. Warmbier's family announced his death yesterday. Doctors said last week that he had suffered extensive brain damage and was unresponsive to his surroundings. Officials from the University of Cincinnati's medical center that treated the student upon his return labeled his condition as a state of unresponsive wakefulness. We don't know precisely what happened to him, although the cause of death is currently under investigation. Well, he was, of course, held captive in North Korea for some 17 months, but had been sentenced to 15 years. Here to talk with us about the human rights angle of this story is uh, Olivia Enos. She is a policy analyst at the Asian Studies Center at the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I wish we weren't having this conversation involving the death of this one 22-year-old, but there are other Americans currently being held in North Korea. And I think it's important for us to try to gain some understanding of the human rights uh, element to this story. Uh, Otto Warmbier certainly draws our attention to that, but there are other uh, elements that we need to be aware of as well. What can you tell us? The death of Otto Warmbier is definitely an immense tragedy and one that points and highlights the brutality of the Kim regime. You know, my heart goes out to the Warmbier family for their loss. But as you reference, this is a, a part of a broader trend in North Korea of incredible, incredible human rights abuse. In 2014, the United Nations commissioned a report, the Commission of Inquiry, that found North Korea may be guilty of crimes against humanity, in part because an estimated 80,000 to 120,000 North Koreans today are being held by the Kim regime in prison camps. And we're talking about uh, not only foreigners, but we're talking about North Koreans who are themselves being held and a, a whole population that lives in utter fear and terror of their leader. This is so true. So in addition to the three Americans that are continuing to be held there, North Koreans, whether they're in a prison camp or not, face unimaginable hardship. Their basic rights to freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of association, all are curtailed by the regime, not to mention that their access to outside information is is significantly withheld. And the brutality, the the degree of the brutality Mm -hmm. that the Kim regime engages in, it deserves U.S. government response. Yeah, brutality and deprivation. I think we're becoming increasingly aware of the human rights violations that take place regularly there. Um, But the question is, what can and should the United States government do? The nuclear weapon threat is an element that colors everything else that happens. What would be a, a response that the United States could take, given the current climate that we're in, in our relationship, if you want to call it that, with North Korea? I think that there are three potential responses the U.S. government can take. Um, First of all, they could institute a travel ban. The the president currently has executive authority to institute a travel ban, but Congress could go beyond that 
to really ensure that a travel ban is actually instituted. But second of all, the U.S. can and should increase sanctions against North Korea. Mm-hmm. One of the fundamental misconceptions is that, um, you know, we have maxed out all of the sanctions that we can levy against North Korea. But there are many other sanctions that can be instituted, including labeling individuals who continue to perpetrate human rights abuse and designated the, designating them and, and putting in place uh, targeted financial measures that go after their resources mm-hmm. and their assets and really threaten them. But finally, Congress um, could also consider reauthorizing the North Korean Human Rights Act, which would increase information access to the average North Korean and also ensure that the president uses his executive authorities to designate individuals who are perpetrating and perpetuating human rights abuse in North Korea. I did note that the China tour agency that organized the trip uh, to North Korea, that Otto Warmbier and his uh, college associates were on, um, have determined that they will no longer take Americans to North Korea. I've, I've often questioned why... Um, universities would allow this kind of a trip or who would want to travel to North Korea, given what we know at this point. Uh, but we do know that the China uh, tour agency has least recognized that the danger to Americans, for that matter, anyone else traveling into the country is just uh, too much to risk continuing to bring them into the country. I think the death of Otto Warmbier demonstrates that the risk is just too high to continue to allow tourists. And my understanding is that the current legislation would make exceptions for journalists Mm -hmm. um, or maybe in some cases medical professionals providing much needed aid to those who are, you know, deprived of resources. But it would ensure that an average person just seeking a, you know, thrill in North Korea wouldn't be able to engage in that and put their life at risk. Yeah, it seems uh, absolutely reasonable to me, given this latest example of a string of examples we've seen of Americans being mistreated and what we now know to be true of North Koreans themselves. Um, Are you optimistic that these are the kinds of initiatives the United States uh, Congress and the president are prepared to to, uh, take? I think so. The president has communicated that he's transitioning from an Obama-era policy of strategic patience to one of maximum pressure. Now, thus far, we haven't seen him institute the level of sanctions that he should be instituting against North Korea. But I think that this latest incident with Otto Warmbier might represent a tipping point. I think Congress also is very interested. Um, Marco Rubio recently introduced the North Korea Human Rights Act, and we can hope that maybe that will be reauthorized over the coming months. Well, one can certainly hope. Well, I appreciate your helping to put this into perspective, and we know how to communicate perhaps with our elected officials to encourage them to take the steps that you have outlined. Rachel Johnson, thanks so much for talking with us. Excuse me, Olivia Enos, my my next guest. Uh, Thank you, Olivia. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it very much. Again, Olivia, uh, Olivia Enos is the policy analyst at the Asian Studies Center at the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. Rachel Johnson will be joining us in just a moment. I did want to mention, as I stated briefly, that the China Tour Company agency uh, that organized that particular trip to North Korea that Otto Warmbier was on um, has decided that they will no longer take Americans into the country. Young Pioneer Tours, that's the name of the uh, the group that's organizing them said the death of uh, Warren Beer, the 22-year-old, uh, shows that the risk to American tourists um, in visiting uh, the isolated nation has become too high. The company runs its North Korean tour out of uh, uh, Yangshou, 
uh, China with uh, with tours beginning and ending in Beijing. The tour offers biking trips along the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea, as well as scuba diving. I mean, it sounds like a nice recreational tour, unless, of course, you decide you want to bring a little of North Korea home with you. Um, the uh, doctor said that Warmbier, who, of course, was uh, just returned about a week ago, that he'd suffered extensive loss of brain tissue, suggesting he'd lost blood supply to his brain for a period of time. It's not clear how that happened. There wasn't evidence on his physical body of uh, beatings, but any number of things could be responsible. And they also raised questions as to whether or not he has been in a coma for a full year, as the North Korean officials had said. He was medically evacuated from North Korea on the 13th of June following diplomatic talks. Talks at the top of the uh, U.S. government using a, a, a surrogate, a former University of Virginia student. He was serving a 15-year sentence in North Korea for allegedly attempting to steal a banner containing a political phrase that was hanging from a wall in his Pyongyang hotel. Uh, the sort of thing I suppose a 22-year-old student uh, might do, unaware of the. Uh, uh, the fallout that might follow. And of course, we know the rest of that story. As was mentioned, there are still three Americans being held in North Korea and efforts to secure their release are uh, are continuing. So we'll follow that story, assuming there's more information to be uh, to be had in the coming days. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Rachel Johnson. She's an executive director of the National Safe Voting Council. Tonight at about 9.42 p.m. is the start of summer. Tomorrow's the first day of it. And the 4th of July is the busiest boating season of the year. So we're going to talk with uh, Rachel Johnson about what you need to do to make sure you not only enjoy your time on the water, but make it home safely. You and all of your passengers. Rachel Johnson up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. Well, tomorrow is the first day of summer, the first full day. It actually begins at about 9.42 Pacific time. That's p.m. But new recreational boating statistics that were released by the U.S. Coast Guard provide some pretty important reminders for summer uh, boating traffic. Drowning continues to be the reported cause of death attributed uh, to more than three-fourths of recreational boating fatalities in 2016. And 83% of those who drowned weren't wearing life jackets. The National uh, Safe Boat uh, Boating Council encourages boaters to be responsible at all times while in the water. But what does that mean? Well, here to talk with us about more specifically what that means is Rachel Johnson. She's executive director of the National Safe Boating Council. Uh, and as I mentioned, tonight is the first official uh, start of summer and much boating to come, particularly the 4th of July weekend. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you, and happy summer. Thank you. You know, those statistics are really staggering when you consider that these are preventable deaths. Yes, yeah, and, and we, we get excited about the summer, but there is a sobering element of it that it's great to know about beforehand because there are proactive things we can do. And the main one, of course, is wearing a life jacket at all times while boating. You mentioned 83% of those who mm. drowned last year weren't wearing the life jacket. And these are adults we're talking about for the most part. They're not young children. It's, you know, you, me, our, our husbands, boyfriends, and 
whomever more over the age of 25 and through about 60. So that's what we're really talking about here. Yeah, and the 4th of July weekend that is approaching is the highest boating traffic weekend of the summer. So it's really important to keep these things in mind. It's not just a matter of jumping on a boat and going wherever you want at whatever speed you want. So you mentioned wearing a life jacket. What are some other boating safety trip uh, tips rather uh, for all boaters and their passengers? It actually starts even before you get out on the water. One of our main tips is encouraging people to take a safe boating course. And that safe boating course is really going to introduce you to how you can be safer. And, you know, some other tips on how to keep everyone else safe as well. And then, of course, each and every trip, check the weather before you go out and keep an eye on the weather your entire trip. It can change in an instant, and we don't want you to get caught out there. I know one of the things you recommend is to have a a float plan. Explain what that is and why it's important. Yeah, this is another tip before you even go out boating for the day. A float plan uh, can be something very basic as a sheet of paper that basically says your day that you're planning on, uh, and you leave it back home with someone safe. So in worst-case scenario, if you don't get back home that evening, uh, someone would know at least where to start because you left those details. And there's a few other more high-tech options. For example, the U.S. Coast Guard offers a free boating safety app. And on that app, you can actually file a float plan right from your phone. Very cool. It really is. And they make it so easy. They just want to know what type of boat you'll be on, who's on the boat with you. Basically, I like to say the who, what, where, when. We all know. Another one of your recommendations is to check the equipment. And there's actually a free vessel safety check that you can get with your local Coast Guard or uh, power squadrons. Explain why that's important and what's being checked. Yes, so Coast Guard Auxiliary and U.S. Power Squadrons are volunteers and, and are found across the nation. Um, basically, what they're for are the required equipment, such as one U.S. Coast Guard-approved license for each person, uh, you know, if your boat needs a fire extinguisher because it's a power boat, uh, there is a required equipment. And then other things they just want to make sure are in working order. For example, uh, are the lights on your boat working and operational? Uh, is your engine cutoff device uh, accurately uh, installed on your boat and ready to go? Is your horn working? And, and the vessel safety check is absolutely free of charge, even if you fail, there's no negative uh, consequence to you in failing, only that now you know how to fix these items on your boat so that they'll be safe for you all summer long. Yeah, yeah. Um, One of the things that's important is to know what's going on around you at all times. Uh, The uh, Safety Council points out that nearly a quarter of all reported boating accidents last year were caused by operator inattention. Um, Again, it, it seems like a small thing, but it can make a huge difference. It really can. We do look at operator inattention and other things like operator inexperience, improper lookout, and excessive speed are four of the five primary contributing factors to accidents. The fifth one, of course, is uh, machinery failure. So four out of the five are user error. Uh, and so really it's important for the operator to be paying attention, but we always recommend they also designate a proper lookout. So, you know, your first mate, have them looking out alongside with you. It never hurts to have too many sets of eyes looking around uh, to make sure that everyone on your boat and the other boats on the water are safe. 
Another thing that seems like a no-brainer, but uh, I understand one-third of all recreational boating fatalities are the result of what's called BUI, boating under the influence. What are the rules? Yeah, boating under the influence. Now, the rules uh, are very similar to boating, uh, or I'm sorry, drinking and driving in a car. You can get pulled over. You can get arrested. You can go to jail for uh, boating under the influence. So, Uh, We do recommend, our first and foremost, leave the alcohol back at home. You know, we are realistic at the National Safe Boating Council, so we always say designate a sober skipper. If if you are, as as a passenger, going to enjoy an adult beverage, uh, we always say, you know, be safe. Make sure one person on the boat is going to be that designated skipper for the day. Anything else we need to be aware of uh, as the boating season is about to kick in? We really just recommend, once again, knowing, you know, the basics of boating, including navigation rules and and just what you should be aware of, not only on your boat, but keeping an eye out on the other boats as well. Don't assume the other boater knows as much as you do. Uh, So things like I mentioned, taking that safe boating course, not drinking and boating, uh, always wearing that life jacket. It really all adds up so you can have a safe and fun time out on the water this summer. Mm. Now, as far as um, how fast uh, you can go, are there rules of the, well, road wouldn't apply, of the waterways? And how do you know what the the speed limits uh, are in various places uh, out on the water? There are often water markers, especially if you're in a no-wake zone. Of course, you don't make a wake. Um, if there isn't times where you don't see markers like that, and, and there aren't always, and say you aren't very familiar with the water, you know, we, we just say, you know, that's when common sense would fit in. Don't boat too quickly. Don't speed, essentially. You know, choose a safe speed. Choose a nice cruising speed. Uh, and that's really going to be the best approach. Yeah, you want to have a great time and make your way back to dry land with everybody intact. <laughs> yes, of course, and with those happy memories that you made along the day. Absolutely. By the way, listeners can get more information at safeboatingcampaign.com, and I would encourage folks to take advantage of the resources that are available to make sure that you and your passengers have a great time under the hot sun on a holiday weekend so that you don't end up being a headline uh, in the uh, the evening news. I appreciate so much your commitment to helping educate all of us so that we can be safe boaters and passengers this summer season. Of course. And thank you so much for the opportunity. And everyone have a great time this summer. Hey, thank you so much, Rachel. Bye. Bye-bye. Again, Rachel Johnson is the executive director of the National Safe Boating Council. As I mentioned, tonight is the official start of summer. Tomorrow, the first day of summer. And I should mention the uh, uh, National Safe Boating Council is a lead organization of the North American Safe Boating Campaign, encouraging boaters to be responsible at all times while on the water, especially during the busy Fourth of July holiday boating weekend. We don't want to read about you in the Oregonian or on the uh, evening news. Um, We just assume Assume you had a great time coming and going. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. This is our final segment, sadly. We were talking just a few moments ago with Rachel Johnson about boating safety, and I noted another story that we received from Boat U.S., 
Um, some tips on uh, how to prevent tragedy with the uh, summertime ritual of swimming uh, close to boat docks. And there's reason to avoid them. The fatalities over the weekend of an 11 year old girl in New Jersey and a 19 year old young man in Ohio are bringing scrutiny to an age-old summer ritual, they write, that's common on waterfronts across America, swimming near boat docks. Now, what could possibly go wrong there? That's certainly the question I asked, but uh, initial reports say that the youngster died when touching a dock's electrified boat lift, and the Ohio teen also died as a result of dangerous electrical uh, current in the water while trying to save his father and family dog that also appeared to be stricken by the electrical current. Well, the Boat USA Foundation, the boating safety arm of the nation's largest recreational boat owners uh, group, has some tips to prevent an electrocution tragedy. Now, while swimming deaths due to electri- uh, electricity rather fall into two categories, electrocution and electric shock drowning, both can be prevented the same way. Now, they write that electrocution can happen in fresh or salt water when swimmers make contact with energized metal dock fittings. Uh, boats or other structures due to uh, faulty alternating current wiring, that's AC. Uh, it occurs when AC gets into the fresh water from faulty wiring and passes through a swimmer, causing paralysis or even sudden death. And unlike electrocution, the ESD, the electric uh, drowning version, uh, a swimmer doesn't need to uh, be touching a boat or a dock structure. And even minute, uh, minute amounts of electricity, rather, can be incapacitating and lead to drowning. Now, the risk is greatest in fresh or brackish water. So some areas such as estuaries or rivers may only be... In in the danger zone after heavy rains. In salt water, electrical current takes the path of least resistance, bypassing swimmers. Now, unlike a drowning swimmer who typically can't yell out for help because his mouth is mostly underwater, the ESD victim, this is the electrocuted victim, is often uh, confused about what's happening, um, may be able to shout and will feel some numbness, numbness rather, tingling, pain, and paralysis. Tingling in the swimmer's body is one, body rather, is one of the warning signs of this particular kind of uh, of electrocution. So here are some of the tips that they're passing on, and I thought I'd pass them on to you, given the fact that there were two recent deaths attributed to this kind of electrocution. Never swim around boat docks that use electricity. Post no swimming signs if you have a dock that uh, uses electricity. Have a qualified electrician with experience in dock electric, uh, electrical services inspect your private dock annually. Install ground fault protection on your boat and private dock. Uh, ask your marina if they have installed ground fault protection and, and if the electrical system is inspected and tested annually just in case someone falls overboard. No one should ever swim in a marina, they tell us, although people do it all the time. Periodically test your boat for electrical leakage into the water. So what do you do if you see a distressed person in the water near a boat dock? Well, the drowning victim often looks playful while the electric shock drowning victim looks distressed. So that's one distinction. It may be difficult. Difficult, however, to immediately determine which is which. So play it safe by not jumping in. Now, that may be the hardest thing to do, or in this case, not do. The first task is to shut off power to the dock at the breaker panel, and if equipped, disconnect any power cable to the vessel. If power cannot be shut down, follow the reach, throw, row, uh, but don't go mantra by using an oar, a boat uh, hook, uh, to throw a, a flotation device to reach the stricken person. But if you enter the water and there's electricity in it, then you too might uh, end up being a victim. So I just wanted to mention that along with our uh, tips from Rachel Johnson, Executive Director of the National Safe Boating 
Council. Well, the Beavers have won 23 straight games, with the latest being 13 to 1 romp over LSU. KGW is reporting that Bryce Fimmel limited LSU to two hits in eight innings. KJ Harrison hit the first College World Series Grand Slam at uh, the uh, the park, and Oregon State beat LSU 13 to 1 for its 23rd straight win Monday night. Go Beavs! The top seeded Beavers, 56 to 4, who matched the uh, school record win streak that set earlier this season, took control of bracket one. They don't play again until Friday and need one more win to advance to next week's best-in-three finals. LSU, 49-18 to season, had its 17-game win streak end, and with most lopsided CWS loss since the 20-6 throttling of Cal State Fullerton in 1994. So go Beavs. They play again on Friday, doing very well in the national championship. And uh, as I mentioned tonight, about 9.42 p.m. is the first is the start of summer. Tomorrow is the first day of summer. And as the uh, Southwest deals with sweltering record heat, so hot in Phoenix that planes can't fly. Imagine that. It should come as a relief that Portland's summer actually won't be too hot. That's according to local KGW meteorologist Rod Hill. The summer season kicks off Tuesday. Uh, when the summer solstice begins, and Hill said if the month of June thus far is any indicator, temperatures will struggle to rise above normal for this season. So we're not going to have that hot, long stretch that we enjoyed, in quotes, last year. To date, Portland International Airport has seen only uh, one day of 90 or above uh, when May 22nd warmed up to 91 um, the summer outlook calls for a total of 10 to 14 days above 90 or 90 and above. About a dozen 90 degree days during summer would be considered normal. Well, the summer of 2016 hit the hot category with 14 such days. It's interesting to note that last summer only saw one hot month. That was August. It went crazy with two 100 degree days and 90 or better uh, heat nine uh, different days. Um, he said that 90 degree temperatures tend to taper off through the first 10 days of September and this year should be no different. Here's hoping our summer is just what you are looking for, something that we can actually survive and thrive in. But again, tomorrow, the first full day of summer. Well, taking a look at what's coming up uh, the remainder of this week. Tomorrow, we're going to talk with Dr. Meg Meeker. The book is titled Hero, Being the Strong Father Your Family Needs. And I know every man who happens to be a father aspires to do just that. How to do it might be a challenge for some. On Thursday, we'll talk with uh, Alan Fadling, author of An Unhurried Leader, The Lasting Fruit of Daily Influence. Uh, For those who are well, leaders and whose schedule seems uh, over full, this might be a challenge. We're going to talk about how to be a, an effective and unhurried leader. And again, the lasting fruit of daily influence. And then on Friday, our first Friday fun program of the summer. Hope you can join us for that. I want to thank uh, Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for engineering a portion of today's program and producing all of the show. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you can join us tomorrow. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.